Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. All right, welcome back, everyone. It is May the 4th. This is Jim Galliano, and I want to thank you for joining me for today's podcast episode. This is episode 252, if you're counting 254, if you're aware that there are two lost episodes that unfortunately disappeared. And that kind of fits into the theme of what I want to talk about today. How much control do you really have over your own business? So I had two podcast episodes that disappeared. The company, the podcasting hosting company, did have a few issues over the course of the past few years. And to me, it's really not a big deal in one way. And in another way, it's a little annoying because the truth is that when it comes to things like backing up websites, and I keep on top of that really diligently because so much of my business involves hosting websites for most of my clients. And, you know, through that process, I should have naturally carried that kind of thinking over into the area of podcasting. Because when you get right down to it, everything is just data that's saved on a server somewhere. It doesn't make any difference whether it's audio, video, or text. Sometimes things disappear and you don't have the backups in place or the backups aren't quite up to date. And so there's a portion of the material that you've created that's lost. And that's the case with two of my episodes. So it may be that these episodes are backed up on one of my devices on a USB drive, it's quite possible, maybe even probable, but I just didn't have the energy to go back and comb through all of those episodes, and I didn't also have the, let's say, all of the I's dotted and T's crossed as far as keeping track of episode numbers and episode titles to make that whole process easier. All of that has changed, of course, I've learned with time, but I want to talk about this today, how much control do you really have over your business. And of course, there's no need to control every aspect of your business. I'm talking about more or less having a hyper control type of mentality. Matter of fact, that's impossible anyway. We can look at business and we can look at life and we can ask that question, how much control do we really have? And we can look at the topic from different angles. But first, a quick reminder for those of you who don't know, I have a brand new newsletter. Well, Issue number five will be coming out in a few weeks. It's called the Digital Strategist Newsletter. I launched it back in January. It's available now, absolutely free, over at www.jimsnewsletter.com. That's jimsnewsletter.com. And each month I share some thoughts and ideas around the topic of digital marketing strategy. Now, in the past, I've, I was involved with some huge marketing campaigns and a handful of those are also over in the political space. I've worked for the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, and bo both parties, believe it or not, and was involved with putting together campaigns for, uh, or a part of the campaign process for con uh, people running for Congress, for Senate, for governorships. And so I was able to see and get an insider view on how these strategies work on a large scale. And then what I was able to do is able to kind of break those things down and adapt them for small business owners, freelancers, and solopreneurs. Today I'm an independent, in, in case you care to know, 
But yes, a lot of these systems that are used on a larger scale will also work on a smaller scale. And uh, just a, a little side note here that I want to throw out there. There's a thing about independence in the world that we're living in and doing business in. There's both a, a powerful side to having independence, but there's also some cons, some weaknesses to it. For example, as you begin to grow your personal brand, your personal reputation, whatever market that you're in, people will begin to notice you and they will come knocking at your door. Matter of fact, when I was 21 years old, I was approached by people in the political process and they asked me if I was interested in pursuing a career in politics. And what they did, and this happened to both myself and Lori, when she was younger, you get approached and they basically ask you if you're interested, if they consider you to be well-spoken or that you present yourself well or you have the, a look that they're looking for. And you go into this pool with a lot of other people. And out of this pool will come people who are going to be running politically at a local level. I should say at a state level. And so I was approached and, and I was you know just at a point in my life where I thought this isn't something that I want to do. I don't want to be involved in politics. Of course, politics, just the word itself, kind of weaves its way through the business world, doesn't it? Especially when we're talking about big businesses, big money, big corporations. There's a, a political element to it that was there. And so I became exposed to this from in my early 20s. And I have to tell you now, looking back, I'm glad that I didn't take that route. Lori happened to do that. And she went through the next step of the process. And eventually she went to run for mayor of the town that she was in. And it was, it was a very interesting experience, but she's more or less wired the way I'm wired. And there are certain things that you unfortunately have to look the other way if you want to move forward. And that was just something that I wasn't willing to do. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I wasn't tempted. You know, it's, it's, it's tempting sometimes. That's why the word temptation <laughs> exists, to do the wrong thing and to make some poor choices. But the point is, if your personal brand grows, whatever market that you're in, uh, people are people, whether they're in a, a political group or some other kind of group, eventually people come knocking at your door and they'll want you to be a part of their team. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being a part of a team, but it depends on the nature of the group. And oftentimes with a lot of groups, especially ones where there's a lot of power and money involved, there's fine print that may as well be written in invisible ink, things that you don't learn until you get involved. It's just a funny way of saying there's an aspect of control that you'll be relinquishing in return for some of the benefits that you desire or some of the benefits that you'll be receiving. At worst, it's like making a deal with the devil, right? You get what you asked for, but not what you wanted. So... Being part of a team is, is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But being controlled or manipulated by a team or by a group of people, I don't care who they are or what type of market they're in, in order to remain a part of that group is not so great. Now, I'm bringing all of this up because starting in 2020, now hindsight being what it is, what it is it's been recognized that there's a new wave of people entering the entrepreneurial space online. And they're doing this because 
job security became a thing in, of the past for a whole new generation of people, whole new generation of workers in 2020. Now, there was a lot of discontent in the business world as far as employees go before 2020. It's just that 2020 kind of heightened everything. Everything came to a head a lot sooner. What happened in 2020 in a lot of the business markets would have eventually happened anyway. It's just that because of all of the other events that were happening, it just uh, it fast-paced everything. Now, when you work for someone else, it's true you can enjoy a certain peace of mind that differs from the mindset that you would have when you're working for yourself. However, when you work for someone else, most of the time you don't see the dangers either. If you're working for someone else and you're getting paid on time, then you really don't dwell on the fact that, well, maybe the company is struggling or maybe there's some problems that, you know, you none of that really enters into, I would say, the average employee's mind. You're just happy to do your job. You you're kind of micromanage your world from the standpoint of being an employee. And when you leave that place of business, you do your very best to really leave that place of business, both physically and mentally. But when you work for other people, a lot of the times, most of the time, you won't see the dangers because they seem to come out of nowhere. I remember two of the last companies that I, I worked for before I went out on my own. <clears throat> with one, the, the end came within a 90-day window. Everything seemed to be going okay. I knew there were some problems, but it didn't seem like those problems were affecting where I was. But, you know, it's just everything is tied together and it was only a matter of time. I can see that now, hindsight looking back. And the word came down that the end was near and they were going to pull the plug and the 90-day window happened to be the last 90 days of the year. Now with the uh, so there was some time there was some time to prepare there was a severance package uh, prepared for the employees so there was a little bit of cushion there but still that whole idea of everything being upended and if you being forced to make a decision I guess that's really the hardest part of it it's one thing for something to come to an end or realize it's coming to an end and you can many times slowly leave one situation and slowly go into another but sometimes things happen almost instantaneously. Like the second company that this happened with, that I was with, this, the end came in a day where I, I didn't see it coming. Now, when things happen like that, you think, well, how much control do you have? Well, that's right. You don't have any at all. When you work for yourself, on the other hand, you'll usually see the signs of the problems, even if you don't want to admit it, long before they end up on your doorstep. I say all this because... In the context of how much control do we have over our businesses and over what's happening around us, if we look at the economy right now as it stands today, May 4th, 2020, what do we see? Well, we see a lot of potential problems on the not-too-distant horizon. We see things like, oh, as far as being on our doorstep, we see inflation. Uh, the cost of everything is increasing. The cost of living is increasing. Now, you may be able to make an argument for the fact that individually, we have very little control over what happens in the business world, but I'd argue that we do have control over a few important things, and the decisions that we make for our own businesses will obviously make a difference. 
and obviously do make a difference. So the question I'd like to ask is how much control do we really have over our businesses? Now, there's a few ways to look at this. First, from one vantage point, it will seem like we have quite a bit of control over the decisions that we make. But from another vantage point, it will seem like not so much. So recently, I raised my prices. I didn't raise my prices on every single thing that I sell, but on many things that I did. And I haven't been in a position where I've actually felt like there were certain things that I've absolutely positively have to raise my prices with. I haven't felt that way in, in a long time. So now that's something I more or less have direct control over. Now, obviously, I realize there are certain people out there that raise your prices is basically the solution for everything. And it kind of makes sense when you look at it on paper. When you look at it on paper, it kind of works out like this. You raise your prices and there's a portion of the people who won't pay those increases, who won't be all right with the price increase, and they'll drop off. But you'll be left with better customers who require less of your time. And at the end of the day, all things being equal, it won't be that big of a hit that you'll take. Now, on paper, it kind of sort of seems to make some sense. In the real world, I've seen the exact opposite happen. I've seen people raise their prices and go out of business because simply the market could not, couldn't bear it, right? The market's going to pay what the market's going to pay, and you can price yourself right out of a market. You can, I can do it. That's not to say that we shouldn't raise the prices, but I'm saying there's a counter argument to it. Now, individually with each of us, if you look at your own bills that you pay each and every month, there are certain price hikes that you will put up with because the alternatives are limited and they're not really, when you look at the alternatives, any better than what you currently have. And so one of the things, for example, is who you pay for, at least here in the U.S., I pay Comcast a monthly bill and that bill just keeps going up, it seems like. And it seems almost ridiculous because we, the amount of money that we pay, we don't actually pay for, we don't use our TV like, you know, through cable. We just get our internet through cable. But everything else, we use streaming services and we have the TV hooked up that way. So instead of paying for a bunch of channels that we really don't have any interest in, we buy just different streaming services. And we've done that for over a decade. But when I look at the amount of money that we're paying for our online service, it just seems imbalanced. However, when I go out there, when I look at all of the other options that are available, it basically puts us in a position where we have six of one and half a dozen of another. In other words, no matter how you divide the problems up or the negatives up, it's a balance. We're not really going from one thing to something better. We're just going to a different type of bad by making an alternative decision. So in one way, we're kind of stuck here. It's the same thing with um, car insurance. Where I live, it happens to be one of the higher car insurances in the country. Maybe not by a whole lot, but if you compare the higher price points to the lower price points, it's significant. But we really don't have any, uh, any recourse. In other words, there really aren't any alternatives except to lower the amount of coverage that you have. And so that's another position of, well, you really don't have any control over that. If you want to have milk in your coffee or cream in your coffee, you're going to pay whatever it costs at the store. Now, there are some alternatives. There are places that you can go to where it does cost less 
than it does at other places. So there are some advantages there. So we're, we're looking at this from a position of control options and having a little bit of freedom or not having any at all. So um, now if you compare this, let's bring it over 100% to business. Let's say you built your business on Amazon. Now, if you built your, your business on Amazon a decade ago or even seven years ago, it's a completely different experience than building a business or starting to build your business on Amazon today. I know because Lori and I almost went ahead and built a side business on Amazon. If you build a business on Amazon, you're dependent on the Amazon system. And that means your inventory will be packaged in a certain way. You don't have any control over how your inventory has to be packaged. They do. They tell you what the rules are. You either play by the rules or you get penalized. You get penalized enough and you're out of their ecosystem. It's done. These rules can change and have changed without warning, meaning that your control is little to none. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you do have a traffic system in place inside the Amazon ecosystem. It's very attractive to a lot of people. You do have a delivery system in place inside the Amazon ecosystem. But a single rule change can eliminate a huge chunk of your income also overnight. Now, recently, I actually copied and pasted this um, into a file so I could go over it with you today. There was a, uh, when I say recently, I'm talking about summer of 2021. There was an article published in USA Today entitled, Why Small Businesses Should Stop Selling Through Amazon and Other Online Platforms. So, and they go into it, into, into detail. Now, at the, at, on the good side, on the plus side, the pros are that you get new customers, right? You're going to be able to reach people who'd never know about you otherwise. So you get to reach new customers. Number two, you get to reach more customers through a platform like Amazon because they're all there. They are already there. You have the infrastructure and the support that's built in. In other words, you don't have to worry about how you're going to build your customers <clears throat> and you don't have to worry about how you're going to get your products and services to them. Also, you have guarantees. You know, in, in a few cases, if there's the risk of the customer not paying or being dissatisfied or if you need some kind of insurance because something breaks, again, that's part of the platform. It's already built into it. But there's also a the cons or the negative side of it because, for example, Amazon owns the customer. Amazon takes a high percentage of the sales price. Now, I'm just talking about Amazon, but we can talk about another online platform. We could be talking about Etsy or any number of them. They take a high percentage of the sales price. Uh, they require you to follow their rules, which can be costly. It can actually cost you more money following the rules. Um, and now the rules are not simple. It's not like the rules like you would see well, here's a rule. Here's a um, residential area. You can't drive over 25. It's not something simple like that, which is very easy to follow. Oftentimes the rules, which can include things like how you package your products, what you include in there, how you deliver your products from yourself to their distribution warehouse, all of these things can nickel and dime you to death. And they also require these platforms, Amazon, which we're talking about right now, they require for you to assume all the costs of everything other than the marketing. In other words, which the platform kind of does for you. But don't forget, you also have to pay for advertising on that platform on top of that. It's not like you're just getting this organic traffic and everything's working that way. 
Another thing is your competitors can advertise to your customers and compete against you. And in fact, Amazon themselves compete against many of the people doing business on the platform. So here's a typical scenario. Remember what we're talking about. How much control do you really have over your business? Does it make sense sometimes to retain control or to release it? Serious questions you have to ask yourself. So a typical scenario would work kind of like this. Someone goes to the platform, let's say, again, Amazon. They're looking for your product, and they put your company's name and a product in Amazon's search bar. So does your company or product come up first in the search? No, not unless you're paying the advertising fees. Instead, there'll be an ad for the competitors above your result, and in some cases, the product is actually made by Amazon and sold by Amazon for less money. And they can do it. They can do it. And even if the customer buys your product, Amazon's going to take a nice chunk of the sale and they own the customer. You may never get their name or their contact information. And so as the person that wrote this article was suggesting that when you weigh things out, it makes sense to get off of this kind of a platform as soon as possible for your business. Because... If you start on a platform and you've built a, a loyal customer base, you can see how transitioning to uh, dealing directly with the customer would be to your advantage. One of the examples they gave was uh, people that were doing dog walking services on Rover.com. And they said, well, see if you can get those customers to refer their friends to you directly instead of going through Rover.com. Now, if you think another way, if you look at it, if you're manufacturing something and you have two or three different product lines, now a lot of um, business strategists are recommending that you keep your best products off of Amazon and these other platforms and sell them through more profitable channels or just directly to the customers. That's the whole idea of having an online platform, an online store in some cases that you directly own and control. Right, so you can, you can set up your marketing so that the customers can find you directly instead of going through Amazon. And most businesses are now recognizing this. Some of them have pulled off, some big companies have pulled off of Amazon altogether because it no longer makes sense to do business there. And other ones have a portion of their products there so people can find them. But then the majority of the sales they're making through their own, directly through their own site. And so like people were doing for years, you can use social media, you can use SEO to help your customers going forward find you directly and buy through you directly rather than through one of these platforms. And if you serve a niche, it's even easier to do this because the SEO will work, at least in theory, a lot faster than it will, at least if you have the basics nailed down, than if you serve a wider audience with a wider variety of products. I know that there are people that sell things online that also have a brick and mortar location. And as Lori did when she had her art gallery, she created a an event which had that entertainment value going along with it. And part of that entertainment, of course, involved free alcohol, wine. People love coming to an event where there's free alcohol and free snacks. It doesn't make any difference what you have if you say that you're going to have wine available or wine and cheese available. And we would buy wine and cheese for her events and these little snacks like pretzels and potato chips and 
I mean, people would come. Those events were always full. Now, of course, <laughs> they didn't always sell as much as we had hoped. But if you're selling a high ticket enough item, in this case, it was artwork, then all it takes is one sale to make up the difference and then some. But other people have incorporated other things into how they do it and how they make a stronger connection with their customers and clients that they're not, they wouldn't be able to make through a platform like Amazon alone. Some people incorporate a social uh, mission into it. In other words, they let people know that there is a, an advantage in buying directly from them instead of going through Amazon. No one feels a sense of pride in doing business with Amazon. Let's face it. But there are certain communities where a percentage of maybe the sale is given back or maybe the, the business is owned by, uh, and, and you can pick any group of people. You can, you can pick uh, veterans, for example. People like to buy from veterans. Um, you can take women, for an example. Maybe it's a women-owned, woman-owned business. Or you can t maybe it's owned by a minority. Or maybe the business involved with helping handicapped people. I know businesses that are strongly involved with charities, and so it becomes more of a social type of a, of a position they're supporting, not just people buying from them. So that's just a few ideas. Now, I'm, I'm bringing this out and I'm pointing this out because um, it, when Amazon makes changes and you don't have any control over that, I've seen entire businesses destroyed. And this isn't, I don't want to just say that it's online either. That's not the case. And I don't want to make Amazon out to be, you know, just the, like in this evil, big evil corporation, because this happens across the board. It doesn't have to be digital business only. For example, last week I had uh, dinner with a friend of mine, a few friends of mine. One of them and told me this story before. He's recently retired, moved here to the state of Florida, and he had a manufacturing business for years. They had it here and in Canada, not in Florida, but in the United States. He had a partner, and they literally manufactured nuts, bolts, screws, that, those kinds of products. Very practical. And for years, they did really well, and their business expanded. But then what happened, it became increasingly difficult for them to compete because their competitors started to move their manufacturing over to China. And then in order to compete with them, and they were considered in this space a mid-sized business. So you know, in every space you have smaller businesses, let's say smaller manufacturers, we have mid-sized businesses, mid-sized manufacturers, and we have like the, the giants. He was a mid-sized business, employed quite a few people, as many mid-sized businesses do. But in order for them to continue to compete in their marketplace, they were eventually forced to, you can only cut so many corners. Let me start by saying that. You look at something like inflation that happens and you're getting less value for your money. It's costing you more to drive from here to there every single day. Your dollar for dollar or wherever it is that you live, your, your, your money, your currency is buying less food. Everything is getting more expensive. And so, yeah, you're taking a hit. So you can cut back and a lot of people do. So maybe they start cutting back some of the extras. Well, it's already been proven that you can never cut back enough to make up the difference and get back to ground zero again, at least not for long, and not in an inflationary economy where it's not stopping. Right now, inflation is at a 40-year high. 
So the economists were originally saying that we're experiencing the higher consumer prices and the entire situation was just a brief transitory one and the result of things like shipping delays and temporary shortages of supplies and workers because the economy was still rebounding from the pandemic recession. Now, most economists are saying they're expecting inflation to remain elevated well into the next year. Now, just put that in context. We're only in May right now of 2022, and they're anticipating this going well into 2023. So over the last few years, it's been obvious a lot of business owners have been gradually cutting back on their expenses, their overheads, purchases, and so on. But that only goes so far. It doesn't take long for inflation to start seriously cutting into the bottom line. After a while, you can only cut back so much and then it's cutting into your profit margins. And that's why people begin to raise their prices because it's the only way they can maintain profitability. It's the only way they can maintain their, their workforce, their employees. And so he cut back, him and his partner cut back, until they couldn't cut back anymore. And then they had to basically, you know, you move to where you have a, a less expensive overhead or a cheaper overhead, and then that doesn't work. And, and so eventually they had to close up shop and do the same thing their competitors were doing, which is move their manufacturing over to China. So this is a perfect example of giving up control. Put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you have a partner and you're manufacturing something. You do it directly in your own facility course you have you know your costs you have your overhead but suddenly your competitors lower their costs because they move their manufacturing to another country and gradually your your customers start buying from them instead of from you because you're basically selling a commodity and the market not you determines the pricing of what people are willing to pay what the market is willing to bear is the way most people put it And products aren't the only thing that become commoditized over time. Think about how services are sold. A few decades ago, it was common to see um, computer repair shops all over the place. A few decades ago, I'm talking about it like it feels like it wasn't that long ago, but it was now that I think about it. But today, what's changed? Do you see computer repair shops all over the place? No, no. Today, it's cheaper to buy a new computer or a device than it is to get an old one repaired. Matter of fact, most people do it as a matter of convenience. Even hiring someone from like a geek squad or something to fix what you have temporarily, it's it's a matter of convenience. As a matter of fact, it makes more sense for the average person to just go ahead and replace whatever they have with, with a newer model. The same thing happened with appliance repairs. Back in the day, people would, let's say your toaster oven broke or your microwave broke, and it wouldn't cost that much. You bring it to a repair shop, a reply, an appliance repair shop, and this applied to a lot of different types of appliances. Today, people really don't do that because if you were in the repair business, think about it, how much control would you have if you were in that situation? If you repaired computers or you repaired appliances, Yeah, you can lower your prices to survive in the short term. And all these appliances are are costing less over time. I guess on what type you're looking at. But what would the long-term prognosis look like for you if you were in that kind of business? So do people have their appliances repaired anymore today? 
No, they just go and replace them. They buy new ones. They buy new microwaves when the microwave isn't working properly. You know, they buy new washing machines, new dryers. They don't get the old ones fixed anymore. And so an entire industry suffered from the from that fact. TV repair was another thing. Back in the day, people would have TV repairmen coming to their house, repairing the TV. Does that happen anymore? No, it's it's more expensive probably or just as expensive to have someone out to come out to your home to fix a TV, to fix a monitor. In many cases, we just look at it like that today. Then it, it would cost more or just as much than it would to go out and buy a new one. And so we can see entire industries that have shrunk or disappeared altogether because as these things were playing out in the business world, the people that own those kinds of businesses really didn't have that much control over what was happening in their own businesses, not being able to have control and fix the problems or stay as profitable or maintain their profit margins. Certain businesses over time just are no longer viable. And so it's really good to learn from history, learn from people who have been there and done that, than it is to try and figure everything out yourself. If you were in the repair business and that was happening to you, you could lower your prices and survive in the short term again. But what would the long-term prognosis look like for you? I know with a lot of business models, because I've been there myself so much work goes into putting these things together that throwing in the towel is hard to do. And so, you know, you continue to suffer with a business that is no longer, it no longer holds the same appeal in the marketplace. Its time has come and gone. And I've been there before. I, I mean, mentally speaking, emotionally speaking, it can feel crushing, especially in the short term, to admit that, you know, that's kind of like the end. But back to my friend and his partner, they eventually realized, of course, that their options were limited. They moved their production to China as well. And he told me that for the first year or two, things really weren't too bad. The manufacturing was taken out of their hands and they would fly to China. And the people that they were dealing with there, the manufacturer who was taking over for them, they were very good about understanding what it was that they needed to have done and what type of scheduling they needed. But eventually over time, what would happen is that person would leave the company. They would have a new contact person and then they would have to go back and explain everything all over again. Then what would happen is the expenses began to mount as they had to travel from the U.S. to China uh, every other month at times to oversee certain things. And they said the, the traveling became wearing, it became expensive, but then the quality of the final product began to decline noticeably. Crates of screws, for example, weren't properly machined and they became unusable and customers began to complain about it. Shipping expenses then began to rise and that's something that's, out, again, out of their control. And then, of course, on the political front, Things were changing and tariffs were added and then the shipping costs would go, would go up even further from there. And then what happened? The people that were manufacturing the product for them began to manufacture that same product for themselves and sell that product in the same market and the manufacturer became their direct competitors exactly the way Amazon becomes a direct competitor of the people that are, many of the people who really do well and are selling the products 
on their platform. Imagine that. The person that you're supposed to be a partner with becomes your competitor and is able to sell the same product at a lower price than you are, but still wants to maintain that nice, cordial friendship. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. And so the reality of where things are going hit him, hit his partner, and they, they sold the business. And they took a loss and they got out before they lost even more. You see, behind the scenes in business, like in many other things, it's ruthless. So you can learn from the experience of others to avoid some of these problems. Now, currently in the digital space, it's really not like this, like it is in some of these other examples that I've given today. Currently, I build my own websites using WordPress. And as frustrating as the WordPress marketplace can be, you have the complete freedom to customize or modify whatever you want. I'm not locked into anything and I don't have to pay ongoing fees beyond that which I'm willing to pay for. If you're in the digital space, you're in the same situation. It is not a bad situation to be in. Now, there isn't any danger of WordPress going out of business overnight. And even if the company behind the product somehow just uh, went belly up or closed their doors, it's open source and there's such a huge community out there connected to the product that I have no doubt that more than just a few people would pick up the ball and keep the product moving forward in some sort of uh, one iteration or another. Now, if the foundation of your online business, which includes things like SEO, sales and marketing, if it's founded on WordPress as the base, then you have an element of control you wouldn't otherwise have if you go with one of the other options that are out there. Now, the other options may be a better fit for you than WordPress. For example, if you have a high traffic e-commerce site, you may find that a solution like Shopify is a better fit for your business right now. And that's fine. I'm not talking, I'm not speaking against that. The context of what we're talking about right now is control. So Shopify, for example, can raise its fees or change its pricing structure. You don't have any control over that. On the other side, if, for example, you're using WordPress and the hosting fees rise, you have other options that are still on the table. There are numerous places that you can move your site to. Matter of fact, if you're stuck on Amazon, the same things apply. That's what I mean by control. Options give you a certain amount of control, even if none of the options appear to be really a perfect fit or even a good fit right at this time. Of course, the other side of the, this is the fact that there are certain things that you may not want to manage yourself. For example, after testing, I came to the conclusion that I don't want to host a learning management system on my own server after it grew to a certain size. And by that, I mean the number of people or subscribers logging in day in and day out. For me, it was cheaper and less stressful to go with a software as a service option to host courses on. And there are certain types of systems that I personally really don't have any interest in managing myself. So yeah, if the software company that I choose to build part of my business on if the software as a service company closes their doors a few years from now, I have other options. And I also have the customer list. You know, I remember hearing a story when I first moved here to Florida way back when 
Florida, of course, was the home to many Indian tribes, most of which were very peaceful. And when the first settlers came here, they were told about the hurricanes and how bad they could be. But one chief in particular, as the story goes, told the story about a place, an area that was safe from hurricanes, safe from direct hits, safe from flooding. And it was an area that had never suffered a direct hit or severe damage in his lifetime and in the lifetimes of his ancestors. And it just so happens to be that was the town that I moved to when I came here. And I didn't hear about this story until several years later. And yeah, it was absolutely true that all of the storms, even the ones that were headed towards that town, steered away, sometimes at the last moment. And that area never suffered a direct hit. There's not one on record in the hundreds of years that they've been keeping record. And according to the Indians that lived there before, they they kept records. To this day, the town remains untouched. And it's Manatee County, Florida, where the town of Bradenton is located. That's where I moved to when I first uh, came here. But the point of the the story is that we can learn from the experiences of others. When I heard that story about how my friend closed his manufacturing business, that wasn't the first person I talked to who lost their manufacturing business. There were times where one of my other friends had a company where he provided employees, temporary employees to different types of offices. And eventually some of big, big money companies came in and started competing with him. And one of his chief competitors was owned by, I believe it was American Express. And I had no idea they even did that kind of thing. I thought they were just credit cards only. But basically he realized that when American Express came to him and offered to buy him out, it made more sense to take their offer, which he said was very fair, as opposed to fighting them and fighting a losing battle, a battle that he couldn't win, a battle that was just going to cost him too much over the long haul. And, you know, and that's another issue there. I've, you know, I've talked to quite a few old timers where they've basically told me that they wound up selling their companies, selling their businesses, not because so much they wanted to, but because the, the, per, the company that was buying or giving them the offer was positioned to become a direct competitor of theirs. And so it was a win-win for both parties. Now, it's a win-win if you're willing to sell. And I know some people aren't willing to sell. And so in that case, the person becomes a direct competitor. So you have to ask yourself the question, is this a fight that you're ready to go into? And is it a, win- a winnable fight? You know, if it's not a winnable fight, I mean, it's one thing that if you're, I look at it this way, if there's two nations that are at odds one with another, then before the first shot is fired, there's plenty of time to negotiate some type of peace treaty. Because even if the treaty doesn't 100% favor you, that would definitely be better than losing a whole bunch of lives in a, in a war type of situation when you think about it. Now, of course, in business, no one is, it's not like literally a war, but figuratively it is very much. And the losses take the form of finances. And so if you find yourself faced with a foe that is financially head and, sh- and shoulders above you and stands to become a competitor, then you really have to think, think things through clearly before you make a decision. Now, for those of you who are in the digital space, you have a lot of options. 
there is the possibility to have more control over your decision-making process, over what you, what moves you make, what strategies you employ as you move forward in the digital space. Unless you put yourself in a place where you're locked in to one supplier, where you're locked in to maybe one or two people, no matter what you do, and this is why I enjoy the digital space so much, is that you can choose to do business with people that you enjoy working with. You can choose to become a part of the group but maintain your autonomy. And that's the nice thing about the online groups that make this possible. If each of the individual members are able to get the benefits of the group and yet maintain that individual independent autonomy, then they're never going to be pushed into a position where they're just there because they're afraid that if they're no longer part of the group, they're going to suffer a loss, be it financial or losing the customers or losing influence or losing marketing or advertising power. Does that make sense? You know, in a perfect world, and we talk about a perfect world from from a place that per- perfection is impossible. I understand that. there Nothing is perfect. But there is such a thing that you can have a group of people working together where it's a win-win for all of the individuals in there. One of the first things that comes to mind is the music industry. How many times over the years do you see where there's a band and the the members get together and they hit a certain level of fame and then they're at each other's throats and they fall apart? There's been movies written about that. However, there are certain bands where the members get together and they stay together. Maybe they have a little disagreement here and there, but there's enough for everyone. Everyone stays happy and they're, they're together for years and years. That also happens. So it's not... A total fantasy to say that you can't have the best of both worlds, that you can't maintain your independence, but you can't you can also benefit from being part of a group of like minded people. And so, again, I think that if you're going into a situation like this, you have to have the type of mentality that is willing to give a little to get a little. Sometimes people will, you know, like the Bible says, Uh, It's impossible that, but that offenses will come. Some people get offended so easily and they just can't let those things go. They're reminding people of something they did or said 20 years ago, which doesn't make any sense. You know, sometimes people do something that offends somebody else and it wasn't even that they did it on purpose. It's just they were so wrapped up in their own world. They didn't think about it. They didn't realize they had done it. And and again, if that's the kind of thing that you can't get past or you can't get over, it's going to be hard for you to work with people. So that's just something else for you to think about. So when it comes to business, there's plenty of examples out there that you can learn from. I believe if you're in the digital space right now in 2022, I believe that as as far as all of the negative that you're going to be hearing on TV, as far as all of the negative that you may be experiencing <clears throat> with things like inflation, I believe you're in a good spot. I believe you're in one of the best spots possible because Online business isn't going to start shrinking. It's just going to keep on growing. It's going to be, it's going to keep improving. Things are going to get better. Technologies are going to improve. There's going to be plenty of opportunity for you to be very successful and possibly even more successful than you personally believe possible as things stand today, right now, in May of 2022. But sometimes you can learn more from hearing these stories of people that allowed certain things to be moved out of their control and 
have other people control things that ended up ruining their business. So when you're aware of these stories, then you can kind of look and see what happened in the past with others and look at what you have today and ask yourself, are you in a position right now where your, your assets are protected, where you have your basis covered, where you can move from one thing to another if one of the companies that you're dealing with suddenly goes down the drain? Are you in a position to do that? And if not, what, what steps do you need to start taking so you can put yourself in a position to do that? Remember, there's a lot of successful businesses out there, businesses who were successful at one time that ended up closing their doors because they did stupid things or because they thought that just the market would never change or that they would never have to change. So the question, how much control do you really have over your business? I think the safest answer would be if you plan wisely more than you think. Okay, I think that's a wrap. Let's go ahead and put the bookmarker in it there. That's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a few of your friends, please go ahead and share the episode link with them or send them directly to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. Your sharing of this podcast, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever, really does help me reach people who would otherwise be very difficult, if not impossible, to reach. We all know how noisy it is out there, so your sharing of this podcast does make it possible. So thank you for your time. Thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.